Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. And Fast Money does start right now. Live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking the Times Square, I'm Brian Sullivan. I'm in for Melissa Lee. And your traders on the desk tonight are Pete Nigerian, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and fabulous, fantastic Guy Adami. Yeah. I'm being nice to you, Guy, and you, and you know the reason. Good to have you on board. You know the reason. Why? Tonight on Fast, the maximum <laughs> point of uncertainty. That is how one of the biggest bulls on Wall Street is describing this market. But he says it could be your best chance to buy, and he'll explain why. Plus, stocks like Salesforce and Starbucks jumping back to all-time highs today. But you want to know what names could be next, not what's happened. The traders are going to weigh in. But first, we are going to start with the wall of worry for the market. Stocks are coming off a seven-week win streak. Even as we are just two days away or two weeks away from a possible trade war deadline and increased tariffs, and one week away, really four days now, from another potential government shutdown. And all of this, as global growth concerns sit at the front and center of the minds of investors, Europe slowing down, guys, China, if you believe 6-6, I know a lot of people don't even believe the headline Let's numbers. not even go there. We'll see. So here's the thing. All these risks, mm. trade war, China, Europe, Brexit, which we didn't even throw in there. Throw it in. Is throw it, it in. I just threw it's it in. Shutdown. Is it? Guy could split down. his patch. Is it? <laughs> okay. What? See, that we were going to save that, Tim. <laughs> See, now the people at home, hey. now I got to, we, we'll talk about that later in the show. Go so, ahead, Brian. A- ask Guy Adami yes. split his pants, and that's the reason we're going to be super nice to him tonight, because we don't know how he's going to get home. Very uncomfortable. Sorry, I gave that away. <laughs> so, Guy, is it safe to buy stocks? <laughs> I love the laugh track. Given all that's going on. I think 2710, which is exactly where the S&P closed, I think this is resistance here. I thought where the S&P would fail at 2550 on the way up from Christmas Eve. I was wrong about that, but this 2710 level is big to me. I think we roll over. In terms of is it safe to buy stocks, well, given that premise, I guess no. But there are areas that make sense, and I'll give you two. I still think big cap pharma works. They've been trading well. Yeah, Pfizer's come off a little bit, trading 41 and a half, 40 to 42. But Eli Lilly trades well. And I do think some places in the energy space are really interesting. Specifically, big cap energy has traded well now for the last couple of weeks. Exxon Mobil off of 68, now trading 74. And a name like Holly Frontier that nobody really talks about. We brought it up a couple times. Look at the bounce that stock has had over the last couple weeks. Reports on February 20th. I think that's the name you own in earnings. Wow, a little mid-cap refinery action there with Holly uh, that, Frontier. I get right Speaking of wild worry, way. though. I, mean, I like that. By the way, the average big-cap oil stock is up 10% this year, but you see more left to go. Anybody disagree with Guy's view? Well, I, I, I would just add some more things to the wall. I mean, while we're at it, let's throw in the dollar, which is now up 2% and, and is within about 40 pips of, of basically breaking out to multi-month highs. Uh, you've got the euro conversely and not surprisingly breaking down. So you're about 40 pips away from 18-month lows on the euro. The European political and growth situation is probably, to me, the biggest 
dynamic in the wall of worry. Um, I think if you look at where rates are, that's certainly more, you know, giving you the read on where the economic growth is. Um, but I would tend to agree with Guy. I think the, 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 the way stocks have actually rallied back, there are some places that have proven to be somewhat defensive in these growth environments. Um, if you believe that the repositioning hasn't already taken place, maybe that's another thing for, to, to worry. You know, what I find interesting, Dan, is that this year, one of the worst performing if you want to call it an asset class, I guess, is volatility. The VIX, the VIX, one of the best last year. It's down 37% this year. All the stuff that's going on that we just talked about, and yet volatility and the fear gauge is lower. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of that had to do with the deleveraging that took place in the last six weeks of the year. And so when you think about heading into a new year, a lot of that has to do with the calendar also. When you think about how people hedge their portfolios or hedge certain positions, and I think the risk environment, taking environment into January is far different than it is in late November and early December. So right now we have a situation where uh, investors seem, you know, relatively sanguine at this point. Um, but we do have all those things that you're talking about where um, – um, they could be the potential things to add that volatility um, back into the market. I'll just say this one point. I mean, to me, when I think about the setup right here with the S&P 500 up 8% on February 11th, and we have all these things that could actually send us back for a retest, which a lot of people are expecting, you know, to me, it doesn't set up as a great trade right here on the long side. I think we're all kind of saying that. That being said, a shallow pullback might get bought if we start seeing things be pushed out um, as it relates to the Do you the think they, do you think they will, trade. Dan? I mean, well, go, but hold on. Here, Mike Wilson, who comes on our show often from Morgan Stanley, the strategist, he's been talking about an earnings recession. We're already starting to see that. We're seeing expectations come dramatically lower. Look at that news out of Apple today. The smartphone market in China was down 10% in Q4. Apple was down 20% in Q4. That's probably not getting much worse. So what I'm trying to say is that the sentiment on a lot of individual situations is getting really bad right now. The best case scenario for the market closing back towards the highs in 2019 would be some sort of reset so you could recharge. Yeah, looking for a reset. I agree totally with Guy. He talked about pharma. One of the names I actually added today was Merck. And I already owned the stock. I added some calls today. There was a huge call buying in that stock today. So I look at these pharma names, Brian, and I, and I think there's a lot of upside to many of them. They've got great pipelines going forward, whether it's Merck, whether it's Pfizer. I like those two specifically. But also, when you look up around different other areas in energy, one of the stocks that I was adding to as well, because I like what they're doing and I see Richard Kinder buying it, is KMI. So Kinder Morgan, Kinder Morgan yeah, pipeline company. Right. So you, you look around, and you say, well, you know, it trades with oil, blah, 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 blah. Well, it trades in a different vacuum, but it's also a 5% dividend yield, and it manages to be able to go through these oils up and down. We were just at 55. Then we pulled back. We're pushing towards 50. So we'll see where oil and energy starts to move in the next couple of months. Well, they shouldn't trade with the price of the commodity right. because they make long-term contracts. Long-term. I mean, that's the reality of it is yes. they're not saying I'm going to pay you more or less. You know, it's not like going across the Holland Tunnel, and every time you go through, there's a different toll. It's the same toll all the time. And that's KMI as well. I guess the fear is, can you get new pipelines built? What's the capacity? Is there going to be more built, which would then reduce pricing? 18% gain for the stock this year, Pete. You don't seem to care. No, I love it. I've owned it before. I've added to it. And I like this name. I just think when you see the insider coming in, it reminds me of Jamie Dimon. It reminds me of Steve Wynn. When I see folks adding to their position that they've already got, and they've already got massive positions, I like By the way, second that. richest man in Texas, I believe, behind Michael go. Dell. Look at where it, what the market, though, did in December, and look what it did. To, look, oil prices obviously had a major, major correction. People, uh, if anything, have been assuming energy companies are running their balance sheets the same way they did four years ago. That's not the case. So everything we're just saying here, um, it's a utility. A lot of these pipelines, and I, I do like MLPs, and I do think that those yields are intact. I think a lot of these big projects have actually played themselves off. Short interest in the energy sector, all-time highs. So 
ultimate fear right there. And I think it comes back to positioning. You know why? Because I can tell you, and you're talking my space here, but I can tell you this much. It's been 10 years of just capital erosion in energy and oil and gas in particular. Investors, unless you time it perfectly, have made almost no money in oil and gas. I want to make one point, though. We're talking about what to buy. You know, it's really interesting. You know the whole MAGA complex, Microsoft, Apple, (laughs) Google, and Amazon? They've really stalled out somewhere before. Hold on. It's really stalled out. It's also stalled out at a time where bank stocks have really stalled out. They've gone sideways over the last few weeks as the market seems to be levitating a little bit. It's kind of pushing up on vapors a little bit. And the other one is oil. I put those three things together, and I say that is not a great set up near term as the market is pushing just a little bit higher, 50 bips every day, 20 bips every day. Those three groups really make me nervous, the fact that they are not participating at this stage, up 8%, up 16% from the Christmas lows. A couple I, things. Dan mentioned, by the way, quickly, you, met, you mentioned Mike Wilson before. Yeah. This just in, by the way, and I hate, you know, you never know what tomorrow holds, but Mike Wilson will actually be on this show tomorrow that Brian Sullivan will host, oh, number nice. one. I'm not number two. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's disappointing. Yeah, that's just my show, my show, my morning two. show starts in like forty-eight minutes. Jump the shark, right? So you guys, you we're guys. happy to have you while we have you, Brian. People say, "Wait a second, you think that the S and P's gonna roll over twenty-seven ten? Why are you buying anything?" That's a fair question. Dan, Nate, Dan, Nathan, from time to time, ask that question because stocks actually can do well if the market sells off. I mean, but big cap pharma didn't do all that poorly on that sell-off. And I got to tell you something: these energy names. Most of the bad news that you discuss, I think, are a lot of these names. That's why I would. Let uh, me ask a more broad market question. Is oil, because Jim Cramer's been on this, said oil has really kind of determined the market. Is oil more important than China? Is oil more important than Brexit? Seems to be. I don't no. believe so. Absolutely but not. Why not? Not a chance. Look I at mean, the charts. They ma- Hold to me, on. The market is completely run. Now I know. I thought you were Minnesota. Nice. Be nice. I Hold know. on. Uh, we please put got? up a chart of the S and P 500 overlaid with crude oil, going yeah. back, let's say, five years. Oh, go. How Minnesota, does, nice. How, when you look at China right now, and you see the fact that they, their growth rate now is 28-year lows, right? What does that tell you? Doesn't that make you? I know you're our emerging markets guy. What does that mean to you? Doesn't that get a little bit concerning? And t- especially we got a trade war going on. We've got all these different areas. I think because of that, China's the big story. Yes, oil's moving around here and there, but I think China's going to be the draw. In the You're going to tell me, okay, listen, with the exception of, you know, sort of five years ago, the, the, the correlation looks pretty strong oh, there. Sully, throw the dollar up against that, okay? Right. Tim just told you the dollar's about to break out. To I don't want to throw high. the dollar so because in, then it won't fit back, my thesis. That's right. Back in 13 and 14, <laughs> when we had, you remember we started to have this fear of rates going higher, the dollar started ripping, oil got cut in half. And there were growth fears back this then. Could be, uh, this could be a lot like the first half of 28, of 2016. Excuse me, where we actually saw oil prices, which had been starting to actually lose significant ground because of the dollar strength in the summer and the fourth quarter of 2015. But the bottom line is, I think the Chinese growth at 6.6. This is not a new. You believe that number? This right. is not an. Yeah, you, I do. You do? Look, I believe it relative to itself. I mean, the delta on China is no different over the last three years. What's happening in terms of the short term on the trade war? You had exports out of Southeast Asia, which is a part of the world that's screaming higher in terms of growth relative to the rest of the world. We're down 10 percent to the U.S. in the fourth quarter. That's actually important. Stuff. The question is, if you can solve this trade deal, I think that is more important, yes. which is what Pete's saying. Okay, we had this relative to our self discussion. Let's bring in somebody who's not ourself, and that is Julian Emanuel of BTIG. You sat here patiently, by the way, Julian. You listened to all this, okay? You remain constructive on the market despite saying we are at the maximum point of uncertainty. How come? Sure, because if you look at the last two months, you took this huge plunge at the end of the fourth quarter to where everyone really questioned whether the secular bull market, the 10-year-old bull market, was going to be over. And then lo and behold, you turned around and you rallied back 
literally in historic proportion even more relative to the decline, um, back to the 200-day moving average. It's not just the S&P, the Dow, it's credit, it's emerging markets. But that, oh, all- Julian, that tells me one of two things. Either A, we shouldn't have sold off in December, some sort of computer anomaly, whatever, or we shouldn't rally back in January because nothing changed but a date on the calendar. No, plenty changed. The Fed turned easier. Very, very important. The market began to rally before the Fed came out and got super dovish. Uh, about a week I or wouldn't two. Agree. About a I week or two. So. I think, I think uh, Julian's here. Let's, let's listen to him. But I, I think it's all the Fed. So, Go ahead, Julian, you, you after know, Tim interrupted you. We, we were very vocal in, in suggesting the Fed shouldn't hike in December. But the fact is that they did. And actually, if you think about it, they created the tightening in financial conditions that, that really was the, is the start of why they wanted to back off. They are achieving what has only been done a couple of times, the potential for soft landing. You look at the economic data, the sentiment indexes have turned over. There's no question about the fact that the rest of the world is weaker, but the U.S. economy still looks like it's north of 2% growth. Julian, you talk about peak uncertainty. So let me push back because that's what we like to do here, push back. Peak uncertainty to me means the VIX is north of 25. It's 16 and a half, 17 right now. So that's one. You mentioned the Fed. The Fed seems to be easy again. To me, that's more certainty than we've had for quite some time in terms of what it means to the market. So where do you see these peak uncertainties out there? It's really the angst. When you talk to both the bulls and the bears, they have very low conviction as to where the next move is. You guys started the first 10 minutes of the show building the wall of worry. It's huge. There's no question about it. In our view, it's very much in the price uh, because when we talk to clients, we think that they're girding for earnings growth in 2019 of zero to two percent. You're going to have someone on tomorrow that's going to be talking about and that. And 17 times forward earnings doesn't scare you? As long as the Fed is, is staying off uh, the rate hikes, it doesn't scare us. Um, because, you think we'll get zero rate hikes this year? Uh, we do. We, Could we get a cut? No, we, we don't think so. Um, you know, it, 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 we look at it this way. We have been on zero hikes since January the 1st. Our assumption is that if we're wrong, they will hike. But that's because the economy is better than expected and the market is likely higher. We don't think a cut is in the cards. So, Julian, some of these uh, things that we've potential headwinds or these potential catalysts that we've identified, you know, back. I just think back to the last time the S&P 500 traded 2800. It was the Monday after the G20 when um, the president told us that we had some sort of trade deal with China. What happened that we just flushed from there? We literally flushed from that point on. So now we're going to get to this March 1st deadline. Do you think that some of these events could be just sell the news no matter what happens? No, because basically the way we look at it, uh, there's going to be a deal of some sort, whether it's a kick the can or it's uh, something more substantive, it's likely going to be kick the can. What actually concerns us in the very near term is if the government shuts down on Friday. Because if you look at it, the one thing that moved consumer confidence over the last two months was the government shutdown. The American people won't tolerate it, and that's what causes multiple... Okay, good, good discussion. Let's get granular. How do we make money? Julian, what sectors do you like right now? So our view is that this probability of recession is less because of the Fed, less because of a lot of things, primarily the Fed. You want to be cyclical here. You want energy and you want, dare we say it, financials. Uh, They have been unduly punished uh, because of a a, a thought that there's going to be zero to no growth. Um, And in our view, they're trading at very attractive valuations. 
And if the Fed's on the sidelines, one of the consequences is that actually inflation expectations have started to tick up. And to the extent that you get some sort of stabilization in Europe, long-term And the financials sell off here. when the Fed gets dovish because, in my view, there's this sort of semi-idiotic, just automatic correlation between, oh, net interest margins are going to fall, sell everything. That's not the way it works. Generally not, but you are at a level where it has been a concern for the last couple of quarters. But again, part of the reason that the Fed is going mm -hmm. easy is because their hope is that they'll have more flexibility by seeing a little bit of yield curve steepening. And if Europe stabilizes even in the slightest, you're going to get that. Julian Emanuel, bringing some class and common sense to the conversation, yes. Julie. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Guys, thank you. All right, we talked about energy. Focus on the financials. Anybody here agree with Julian or disagree with Julian? The financials are a buy. Well, financials, I, I don't. I agree. I don't think. Well, I think you said maybe it's about NIMS because of the lack of steepness of the yield curve. I think it's more the reason financials suffer now is because they are essentially leveraged to the global economy. To the extent you think it's pulling back, that's one thing. The other dynamic is people have been worried about credit. I think credit is actually overdone at this point of the cycle. I do think that banks are, are very interesting. And look on, on energy prices. I actually think this OPEC non-OPEC dynamic is is very much in place going now into Vienna. I think there's a floor under oil prices and at least a lack of volatility, which means energy is wickedly underperformed and looks interesting. Yeah, it doesn't trouble you guys. I mean, I know that you guys have been kind of uh, bullish on the banks for a while here. When you think of 2019, this is the year we're supposed to get hundreds of billions of dollars of tech IPOs. Look at the way Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, the two that are perceived to be in the pole position on all those lists, look at how they act. Look at the volatility that we've seen and the trading that we've seen. They act horribly. Look at the spread between the twos and tens. And I, you could, you could look, net interest margins, we saw some disappointment there. You know, I just don't see it. And to me, I actually see the banks acting the way they do much of 2018 the same way as really a bit of a canary in the coal mine when you think about global growth. In a negative way. You're worried in, in about a, the banks. In a very negative way. In a very negative way. You put that with oil. That's why I just said a few minutes ago. And to me, I find it very troubling. All right, guys, thank you very much. Good discussion. All right, we are nowhere near being done. We're just getting started. Speaking of oil, how about a car that doesn't need any? Tesla in overdrive despite job cuts and new rivals. That stock has been soaring. We'll tell you why Wall Street is expecting an even bigger rally ahead. Plus, a number of stocks within striking distance of their all-time highs. So what does Dan say all these stocks have in common? Well, he's going to let you know. And later, Guy Adami needs new pants. But other than that, he is getting ready to step up to the plate to tell you the one name that he says could be heading for a major rally. The fast pitch coming up, as always, live from Times Square. We're back after this. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. All right, welcome back. Tesla revving up today in the face of even more speed bumps for the company. Now, this follows a big upgrade by Canaccord Genuity. Phil LeBeau is out in Chicago with all the details on that market-moving note. Phil. 
And Brian, we'll talk about that upgrade in just a little bit. Mixed signals for Tesla investors. Today you had T. Rowe Price, the largest institutional investor in Tesla. The report came out from the SEC that it has cut its stake in half. Meanwhile, you mentioned the Canaccord uh, report. It's out today upgrading the stock and putting a price target of $450 on it, largely because of the belief by the analyst that the electric vehicle market is only poised to get much larger from here. We think that we've gone from the altruistic, save the world type of paradigm, which caused a lot of the initial buyers for EVs and for hybrids, and we moved to the economics that really drive this forward. Meanwhile, Morgan Stanley out with a note today looking at the growing competition when it comes to electric vehicles. Now, this was not a note about Tesla, but Tesla fans glommed onto it and said, wait a second, there's more competition coming. Newsflash, everybody knows that already. Uh, Adam Jonas basically saying, look at Rivian as a good example, an electric truck scheduled to come in 2020. Look, if they build it by 2020, it's going to be one of many new vehicles coming. In terms of the electric vehicle market in the United States, Tesla dominates it. In fact, if you look at sales last year, they're way ahead of everybody else. But keep in mind, the Model 3 deliveries last year, and Model 3 was basically only delivered in the U.S. and Canada last year. That's why you had the big surge in sales relative to their competitors in the U.S. They're likely to keep that lead in 2019 and 20, but then we'll see what happens after that. And speaking of deliveries, there was a report a couple of days ago that got a fair amount of attention, a Reuters report essentially saying that there were major job cuts at a delivery center, basically a holding staging area outside of Las Vegas before Tesla vehicles are then sent to the respective locations around the country. Well, a lot of job cuts there. If you look at the reason why, Brian, keep in mind that they're not going to be delivering as many vehicles in the United States now that Model 3 production is ramping up and they're shipping those vehicles over to Europe and starting to ship them to China before the Shanghai plant comes on order. And that's why the stock really didn't move on that Reuters report about those job cuts. Talk to us a little more, Phil, if you can, about Rivian. I know, listen, there's a lot of electric companies out there. I think I'm thinking Faraday yeah. Future sort of out there. I just wonder how real is Rivian? I mean, how much long-term potential does this company really have? It depends on how optimistic you want to get. Look, they have uh, an impressive collection of executives there who have a nice mix in terms of newer development in terms of technology and vehicles, as well as those who have an established background with other automakers who have been doing this for a number of years. So you got a nice mix of the two. And also keep in mind, Rivian will have a plant in central Illinois when production finally begins on its vehicles. That is the old Mitsubishi plant down in Normal, Illinois. But, guys, we're a ways from that happening. Again, the first vehicle is targeted for 2020. And, Brian, as you know, pickup buyers are the most loyal in the world. If there's an electric F-150, is somebody going to buy a Rivian or a Tesla pickup truck? Or are they going to buy an electric F-150? We're not. Now, look, we don't even know if there will be an electric F-150 by 2020. But it's a tough market to crack. Yeah, it is. They say zero to 63 seconds can tow 11,000 pounds. Phil LeBeau, thank you very much. A lot of pounds. Yeah, it, listen, electric car. Guys, Tesla stock had a good day today. Guy Adami, it's down 6% this year. Audi e-tron, Jaguar I-Pace, a lot of competition. Right, right in the middle of this range, this 275 to 350 range, we've seemed to be stuck in for the last couple of years, number one. 39% of analysts buy rating, I think 33% or so sell. The rest of them are neutral. That tells you all you need to know, in my opinion. For every uh, upgrade, say you have a JMP Securities, you have a Goldman 
Goldman Sachs after earnings that basically lowered their price target. I think you're smack in the middle. I happen to think you're flipping a coin. I'll say it again. I'd rather buy it if it gets closer down to 280 than buy it here and, and play stock market. I, I, I tell you, I don't know where this number comes from from this analyst. And especially this is all coming after a call where we basically snuck in that the CFO had resigned. CapEx is down 60% year over year for a growth company, which meant better free cash flow, which means they're not really growing as fast. They annualized their production hard into the fourth quarter, and yet the, the growth they put out for 2019 is basically the same annualized rate as they were in the fourth quarter of two, 2018. This company, if anything, uh, they have a solvency issue. They don't have a competition issue. I, I can't believe people are not even adding up the numbers in terms of their balance sheet and what's what. Well, because we've seen companies that have had similar balance sheets prosper over the long term. I mean, if they're a game changer, I understand that. But look, more importantly, Pete, look at this chart. Yeah. Unless you're day trading this for two years, you've made no money. Right. Yeah, it's very yeah, it's interesting to look at that. As a matter of fact, I agree with Guy. I think on a pullback, the way you do it is, and we've talked about it many times, but you got to do it with options. Because the stock is absolutely erratic. We know how difficult that is to trade. So I think with options, actually, on a pullback, you get towards 300, you probably can't wait to 280. You get towards 300, I think you put out an option spread there. I think that gives you an opportunity. Cash flows are pretty good. And I'll tell you what, with Larry Ellison joining the board, there's an independent factor there that I think puts something more secure to what we're looking at right now. Also got with a couple billion. And, uh, well, he's got a little bit of money. Tim just mentioned it. that they, 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 they don't have a competition problem. They have a potential solvency problem. Obviously, we know they're going to have to raise capital to do this sort of expansion. Why but, last year, but last year, they, they shipped 245,000 cars. 145,000 of them are the new supposedly mass market Model 3. You know what that car trades at? At about 50 grand. You know what the average car in America trades at? About 35 grand. So when you think about it, they're promise of going mass market has not been realized, especially when subsidies are coming down right now. And if you're telling me they got to sell this car into China, build them here, ship them there right now, the Chinese stopped buying $1,000 iPhones last quarter. Who's paying okay. for China, well, by the way? Who's well, paying for China? Well, yeah. Seriously, does anybody, so the, did, the numbers think, don't add up. Yeah. But right. continue to do this. All right, let's go now to CNBC.com, or you can if you want, for more on Tesla and what may be next for the stock. You are watching Fast Money right here on CNBC, and we are first in business worldwide, and we're not done. Here's what else is coming up on Fact. A number of stocks are within striking distance of their all-time highs, and the traders will tell you the names heading for new heights. Plus, Guy Adami's pitches have been on fire. Now he's stepping up to the plate with one stock he says is about to get lit. He'll give us the name and the trade. There's much more Fast Money right after this. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. 
All right, and welcome back to Fast Money. The market coming off a seven-week win streak, even as the S&P 500 is down 8% from its all-time high following December's disaster. But a number of stocks are still reaching for new heights. Our own Seema Modi, live at the New York Stock Exchange. Seema, take us to new heights. Brian, well, the technical picture is starting to improve, a trend that investors, as you know, like to see with about 6% of the S&P 500 now trading at 52-week highs and just 1% at 52-week lows. What's more is there are a growing number of companies that have quietly hit new all-time highs in 2019, 39 to be specific, one of them being Starbucks. Investors remain encouraged about the coffee giant's better-than-expected earnings report card and pointing to strength in China, where sales grew 18% despite the ongoing U.S.-China trade dispute. Shares of Starbucks now about up about 10% in the past one month. Another stock hitting a new high today, Salesforce. Seen as a bellwether in the cloud sector, shares of CRM now up about 17% just this year, outperforming the S&P tech sector. Salesforce earnings are set to be released in early March. The question is, will more companies join the list? A handful of consumer-driven stocks are getting very close to hitting new highs. AutoZone is just 1% away. Nike and Coke are 3% from their respective highs. And MasterCard is 4% away. But the broader S&P 500 still has a way to go. Currently, 15.3% off the lows hit back on December 24th. Traders are also watching to see if the benchmark can break above its 200-day moving average of 27.42, a level it has broken before in October, November, and December, but it has failed to hold on to that level. Brian, back to you. All right, Seema Modi at the NYC. Seema, thank you very much. All right, so the number of stocks sitting either at or near all-time highs, we thought... It would be the perfect time to play a little. Trade it or fade it. You heard that, Brian. That's right. It's trade it or fade it time. Pete, kick things off here. Nike, 1% off its all-time high. Guys, I'll probably surprise you guys. Trade it or or fade it, Pete. Fade it. Wow. I'm going to say fade it because even though I think that they've put up amazing quarters and everybody's been loving this stock, I look at the valuation of this name right now, trading at 27 times on a forward, and I look at Lululemon trading 35 times on a forward, and Lululemon's growth is off the chain versus Nike, I think, especially internationally, I think that the better way to play this, that sports leisure world is Lulu. So I'd rather be in a name like that than a very high-priced Nike, and I think that could pull back. But they have a great balance sheet. There's no yeah. doubt about that. I, I, and I hear you, Pete, and I think there are probably cheaper names in the discretionary athleisure space, but Nike has proven that they're back at the top of their game. North American innovation is really the story. People want to talk about China, by the way. Their China growth is blowing away. Everyone else who talks about China talks it down. Nike actually talks it up. DTC, they're in control. They're bu- I pay more for Nike because they deserve it. By the way, if we stop saying athleisure, it's an oxymoron, right? Jumbo shrimp. I didn't I mean, say no, athleisure. Made it athleisure. It's like Jumbo. I'm going to you know, I'm lays around on the couch and sweat I, I think pants. Nike's I mean, really interesting. When they reported their quarter about that. on December 20th, the stock was down $20 from its prior highs just like a couple months earlier, and sentiment was really bad. They gave guidance on China that was really surprising. I mean, that was I know North America innovation was, it was crazy. kind of the big headline. The China thing was like, but China. Then two weeks later, we get this guidance from Apple about China. So this is a name as it gets back to those prior highs. I think you want to be really careful with because things could have changed. We talk about the dollar. They get, you know, almost half their sales from outside the U.S. That could be a headwind here. So to me, I don't think you chase names. Is that as a faded? Two pers- it's a faded. That is a faded. All right, another one here. 
Tim, Coca-Cola, 3% off its highs of last November. Still had a pretty nice run of 15% in the last six months. I shake my head while I say trade it, Brian, because the bottom line here is this is a company that despite the criticism and the lack of top-line growth for the previous two or three years, actually James Quincy's got this company moving in terms of organic growth. They're growing high single digits. I think they can hold that. It comes down to what's the price you want to pay, Pete? I mean, at 22 and a half times, that's not cheap. Um, But I think in this environment where growth is going to be tough, I'd rather own a rock-solid company. Brian, this is a stock that in March last year I was in Hawaii. I pitched this stock. I caught a lot of flack for it because it was trading $43 a share. Everybody said, oh, God, that thing's overpriced. They have no growth. Well, they do have growth. They've done a lot of great acquisitions. As a matter of fact, the CEO's done a magnificent job. And when you look at the organic growth, there's a lot going on there, I think, behind the scenes that people don't see. Plus, you get a great yield along the way as well. So you'll get that stock from 43 to 49 Plus a three percent yield? That's not so bad. We assume that's a trade it. We even put the animation Full up. Is that a trade it? Trade it. Let's move on because you got to remember you got to say it's a game. Well, trade it the or fade it. Thank that was a similar jargon. I'm, 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 I'm surprised. Twenty-four times. I'm not buying this thing at the prior high. He fades it. Mastercard four percent from its high. Trade it or fade it. Trade it, Brian. Thank you. I play the game correctly. Trade it, Brian. And $1. I'll tell you why you say, well, now that I'm concerned about valuation in Nike, which I am. You should be concerned about MasterCard. Well, look at the earnings growth you have with MasterCard. Look at the last quarter they reported. This stock is now flirting with, as Seema mentioned, its all-time high. I think we're going to blow through it, although I do think the market rolls over here. MasterCard has been one of those names that seems to be impervious I say trade it. I also say that the word Lilliputian fits in. You think about Lilliputian's a very long word, describes a very small thing. Lilliputian. Easy, Gulliver. Anybody want to trade or fade, MasterCard? I'd be on the faded side just because of valuation. Oh, come on. I love the revenue growth, though. Sold to you. I mean, it's phenomenal. What they've done is absolutely spectacular. They and Visa both challenging each other all the time, but they're both the valuation's high. Sold to you. All right, Dan. AutoZone, 1% from its all-time high. Do you trade it or do you fade it? I think you fade it. And here's the thing. They're going to report in a couple of weeks here, and I just don't think you want to be buying stocks like this that are trading rich to themselves, rich to their space um, at all-time highs. I mean, let's just see. The stock was just at 800 about a month ago. Now it's approaching 900 bucks. That was the prior high right when they reported their last quarter uh, back in November. I just don't see any need, uh, reason to play for breakouts. And it trades like at this. 15 times. It's got $22 billion market cap with $2 billion cash flow from operations. I, I think because of that, when you look at it, I know when you look at the chart, it's scary, but I still think there's upside. I, I do. I Are you tra- is that a trade? That's Again, a trade. Say the word. Ah, for He's having right. trouble. Right, O'Reilly Automotive, up 46% yeah. a year. AutoZone up 22 I'm with Dan. I actually fade this one. I think the valuation is closer to 18 times forward. I don't like it. Boom. Where's the, you don't get the animation. No. Yeah. It's okay. I did it quick, oh, Brian. I did it right in the, the beginning. You're, You're not paying attention. That's a sign, Seymour. All right, still ahead. <laughs> it is. Activision Blizzard <laughs> is under pressure ahead of its earnings reports tomorrow. It has been one glitch after another for the video game maker, but could earnings save the stock and investors will explain. Plus, Guy Adami making his way over to the plasma. He's warming up to give us what he says could be the hottest fast pitch of the year, especially because his pants are split. Stick around. All right, and welcome back to Fast Money. Time now for an instant replay. If you remember, and I'm sure you do, back in December, Guy stepped up to the plate to pitch Xilinx. Internet of Things, AI, that's all anybody's going to be talking about in 2019, and Xilinx is on the top of that food chain. I think they're in the right space at the right time. Now, since that fateful day, Xilinx 
has made you 24% on yeah, your investment. Yeah, good job, guy. It is one of the best-performing technology names so far this year. Mm. You crushed it. I mean, that was, a, that was a fastball down the middle. Nice work, but the question is... What do we do with Xilinx now? Well, that's the blind squirrel there, theory there, Brian. And Thanks, guys. Tell you, but I will, broken clock. The <laughs> same thing. But I'll tell you what. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to start to see analysts start to wake up to this name and say, Xilinx <laughs> That guy Adami got it right. That, that fast pitch was, that power oh, pitch okay. was something. So I stay with it. You do stay with it? Just said that. Trading. Staying with it. All right. Well, guys, since you knocked that one out of the park... We got to get another fast. Well, pick. why don't you head on over the plasma? Walk straight at the camera. Keep the camera on the front. As Tim mentioned, I have a split in my pants, what? which you probably don't need to know. But you know what? To me, that means something. It's a sign. And the reason why it's a sign, because for 15 years, I traded something and I traded, slided Earl. I traded gold. And what's going on now in the gold market? Well, you have this little stealth rally, which is why I'm power pitching Newmont Mining. Yes, Newmont Mining comes out NEM. Recent merger with Gold Corp makes them the big guys on the block, and the synergies are real, folks. Global central bank environment. What does that mean? Well, all of a sudden, all these very hawkish central banks around the world, they've gone completely the other way, led by our guys and gals, by the way, which I'm not in favor of, but I think it plays really well for the commodity. That's number two. And number three... You know what? The stock's been in a bear market. I think it's about to turn. So if the broader market turns lower, I think gold does well. I think if gold does well, Newmont Mining will do well on a bad tape. So it's NEM. And I'm going to give you one more little tidbit. You see the Italians now all of a sudden talking about maybe selling their gold to sort of make good on their debts? That ain't going to happen. Gold's in the news. And recently, you saw Venezuela. You see what's going on there? They asked the Bank of England for $1.2 billion of their gold back. You know what the Bank of England said? I can't say it here. It's live TV. It's a family show. But you can imagine what they said. Not good for Venezuela. Really good for the gold market. There you go. Buy Newmont Mining Guy. Any questions out there before we trade this on I the desk? A, I got a real quick one for you, guys. So of, of the names out there, this is your favorite name, but do you like the other names in the space as well, or this one specifically because no, I, of yeah, that big merger? That's a great question. I think yeah. Newmont's deal with Gold Corp, I think that's a big deal. A lot of synergies. I think they're about $100 million in cost savings. I think they now have 15 or 16 gold projects in very desirable locations, and I think 55% of their gold reserves right now are in the U.S., Canada, and Australia. Friendly nations, clearly. I think that's why it makes it a the best in breed, in my opinion. Best in breed. There you go. It's time now to vote. Are we all buying? Guys, pitch on Newmont Mining. Pete Nigerian. Absolutely. Guys, dead on. I, guy, great pitch. And I think that combination and the cost savings is going to be huge. Giddy up. Yeah, I'm afraid I am a seller of Guy's pick. Not because he hasn't laid out a very interesting argument, but my argument is they, they overpaid for Gold Corp. I think the sector traded at a premium a long time ago, and despite the fact that there's better discipline amongst the C-suite, uh, I don't want to touch this sector right now. Okay, Dan? Yeah, I thought it was a mildly interesting pitch, but I'd be selling <laughs> Newmont Mining here, and if the only reason you're doing it is because of the synergies, it doesn't make any sense. Gold literally has gone sideways for 10 years. I know it went up a lot, and then during QE, and then it went down a lot. It's literally gone sideways for the last five years. I'd rather buy Bitcoin than your Newmont Mining Whoa. on this pitch. Jeez, if that's really wow. going Bitcoin over Newmont Mining? Yeah. Bitcoin was at 20000 Now it's at you, you can't introduce Thanks, Woody Rather into There's a upside. Forget yeah. about it. Guy, hey, guy, 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 you got one buy, and after the show, we're all going to go out and buy you some new pants. So you're going to win either way. The traders have spoken, and now don't turn around.
<laughs> Are you buying guys pitch? Vote now on our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We're going to reveal the results a little bit later on in the show. Plus, it's not all lollipops and rainbows and sunshine as big technology unicorns ramp up the competition. We're going to tell you why the rise of this new class of tech could spell trouble for some of Wall Street's favorite stocks. Much more fast coming up. <laughs> All right, welcome back, everybody. Popular social media site Reddit announcing a new fundraising round today as it ramps up its advertising business. The question is, why? Well, CNBC's Julia Borston broke the announcement and spoke to Reddit's CEO, Julia. Brian, Reddit has raised $300 million at a $3 billion valuation. That's up from a $1.8 billion valuation in 2017. That increases thanks to the platform's 330 million monthly active users, about half of whom are between the ages of 18 and 24, according to the company. The company also tells us it's doubled its ad revenue last year. That number has been reported at $100 million. We spoke exclusively with Reddit CEO Steve Huffman. One of the things that's been very important to us is we can now assure advertisers that you are going to have a positive experience on Reddit and potentially even a new experience, a new way of connecting with customers, uh, free from you know, abuse and, and other misbehaving. Reddit has drawn persistent criticism for abuse, harassment and piracy on the platform. Huffman now says they can assure advertisers they won't be connected with misbehavior. And also, he says this investment will help them compete with the likes of Facebook. A new investor in this Series D round is Chinese tech giant Tencent, putting in $150 million. The Reddit is banned in China. I asked Huffman what this funding round means for Reddit's IPO plans. The financing doesn't change our horizon uh, on, on those dimensions that much. It gives us more flexibility to execute our roadmap faster um, and to potentially be more aggressive. But even in the short term, we're sticking with our current strategy, which is make Reddit more accessible. It is worth noting that Reddit generates the lowest revenue per user of any of the social media platforms by far. But that does mean that there's the most opportunity for growth, especially as the company expands overseas. Guys, back over to you. All right, Julia Borston breaking that announcement today. Julian, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. So Reddit joins the growing list that they call the unicorns. You know, a $1 billion private valuation that is on the rise. Could this new class of technology, though, take down some of the legacy players, Dan Nathan. Yeah, it might, it might do. And it might also do as some of the legacy players have much more mature revenue models. It may just help decelerate those rev- that revenue growth. It's just a really important point. Last week, Twitter told us they're going to stop giving us MAUs on a quarterly basis. I think the last number they reported was like $326 million, which is less than what Reddit just told you. Last year, Twitter booked three. Uh, billion dollars in sales on that monthly active user base. And what did Julia just tell us? Reddit did $150 million. There's huge runway to go if you're a Reddit and you're going to start putting ads and that sort of thing. But the other point is that we're seeing these valuations of the private market skip up. We're going to see a lot of these companies come to market, the public markets. And that may not be a great thing for some of these internet services companies that trade publicly right now with some sky-high valuations. We've seen how Snap, Blue Apron, Stitch Fix, some of these things have traded Grubhub just recently. So we might see a lot of pressure on these names as we see a lot of competition, Uber, I, a lot of competition for that advertising Fighting. dollar. I just think that also the expectation that they can suddenly press a button and start accelerating revenues when other people are really you know, challenged in this light. Maybe you can't compare them to Twitter, but Twitter certainly has an audience that at least which is engaged is extremely loyal. So um, I think the valuation is still a very difficult thing. I think if these guys had the valuation they wanted, they'd be running to market. 
No way. I mean, they're, they're, the investors gave them this money to actually just get revenue growth, not to be profitable. The companies but, that are on the public market, though, they have to show profitability. Why did we see we saw I, lower profitability of Twitter? It was down 10 percent on I, Friday. I, I, I guess my point yeah. is that they actually can't do it right now. And in fact, they, otherwise, they'd be public. No. Well, they're just too immature right now. Well, it's also a loose world, Reddit. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on there. I mean, it's not, I don't know if they have, do they have, the, they Reddit, have the, yeah. the focus of maybe a Twitter? Look, or Tencent a, just gave them $150 million, too, and that's, you know, so that means they own 5% of this company. Tencent, to me, has been one of the smartest tech investors around the world. I actually would be following Tencent there. Okay, let's move on now. Coming up, check out shares of Activision Blizzard. They got crushed today. They reported some job cuts. Is this game over for the gaming stock? Down 7.5%. We're going to debate. And there's the madman himself, Jim Cramer, with the Hasbro CEO. It's been all fun and games for that stock. It's up 15% since the recent market lows. Are there more good times ahead? We're going to find out at the top of the hour on Bad Money. We are live at the NASDAQ. Fast Money returns right after this. Activision Blizzard hitting a 52-week low today. That stock falling 7.5%. The company reportedly will announce hundreds of job cuts, all as part of a broader restructuring plan. The company reporting its earnings after the bell tomorrow. Now, the year has been full of glitches for the company. They lost their CFO to Netflix to begin the year, losing the Destiny franchise with a split with the developer Bungie and an ensuing class action lawsuit. The stock getting dragged down last week by poor earnings results, from EA as well as Take-Two ahead. And of course, Fortnite is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Is there any more pain ahead? Or maybe, is this a buying opportunity when it reports tomorrow? Pete there is an opportunity out there, probably more on the buy side, because all this bad news. Think of all the different things you just brought up right there and losing the CFO and, and lawsuits. I mean, the combination of all those things. EA is struggling. Mobile is struggling. There's something going on in the gaming space that's really starting to really flare up in a really bad yes, way. Yes, everybody's playing Fortnite and nobody's playing anything But the else. real question is, have these names been beaten up enough that somebody out there would say, you know what? Now it's time to own these. And I don't mean... Are you that guy? I don't mean me. Uh, no, I mean he somebody... He means Apple. He means yes. Disney. Right. That's what he means. That's what they I mean. They have Overwatch and Candy That's Crush. But they, remember, they bought King. I mean, they bought, they've already Mid bought. They spent a lot on a deal. Right. All right. Well, despite the blizzard of bad news for Activision, traders are betting tomorrow's earnings report could help save the stock. Dan, Nathan, what are you seeing in the options market? Yeah, so, Sully, options volumes were hot today. Um, call volumes were two times that of puts. And generally, what we're seeing is a lot of short-dated call buying, it appeared. The largest, one of the largest trades of the day when the stock was trading, Activision, about 40 and a half, was a buyer of 2,000 of the February, this Friday expiration, um, 43 calls, paying $1.17 for those. Those break even up at 44.17, up about 10% from the trading price. Here's the thing. I mean, this thing has obviously gotten murdered, and the news flow has just been horrible. If I'm long this stock or thinking about getting long this stock, it's actually a pretty interesting setup. For the last month and a half, they've been just leaking out some of the most hard information. And when you think about it, this stock's been cut in half from its all-time highs just a few months ago. Here's the one-year chart. Look at this thing. When it broke that support, this gap is going to be the thing that ultimately traders are going to kind of track against of filling up here. The stock is at 40 bucks, down 53% from those all-time highs. I just want to make one other point here, looking at the five-year chart. Mm -hmm. You really see that massive run-up here, uh, but this breakdown is pretty precipitous. Um, $40 looks like a pretty good support level. So Watch here's that. the thing, in front of earnings, options premiums are really expensive here, so it's really hard to make directional bets just buying calls in this thing, but that's the way I would be leaning. 
All right, 40 bucks, and the numbers are out tomorrow. Dan, thank you very much for more options action. Check out the full show every Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. You know what Guy used to listen to while he traded gold what? at Goldman Sachs? What? <laughs> I don't know. Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart because Twitter is not buying his pitch. Oh, and the dance for version, too, was really bad. Oh, it was the best. Time now for cool. final trades. Pete Nigerian. I'm going to go with AutoZone. I think it's too cheap. And the fact that they're putting out so much cash. Giddy up. Fade it or trade it? Let's trade it. Coca-Cola. <laughs> it's a confusing game. Uh, ATVI, I'm being contrarian. You didn't, you didn't see Tony Braxton at the Grammys last night. You saw me. And you're also going to see Newmont Mining. Pete, say it. Saw you. Uh, Idiot. Right. Thank you, Pete. Tony Braxton was no Tony, Tony, Tony. Thanks you for watching, everybody. Tony, Mad Money Tony, with Jim Kramer begins right now. <laughs> that was good. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.